being able to be in a circle of people that understand the challenges that come with real estate investing and being an entrepreneur business owner is uh, it's definitely a, a breath of fresh air. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, Johnny, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. Glad to be here, brother. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? Vanilla. Plain vanilla. Just vanilla. Just vanilla. No sprinkles, no gummy bears. Uh, no, no I, I, I'm really a, a plain dessert, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, regular pound cake or, you know, cheesecake minus all the strawberry and all the different flavors you can get. I just like to keep, keep, keep it simple. Okay. Do you have a favorite flavor of vanilla? Like who makes the best vanilla out there? Ooh, man. I, um, you know, I, I, I've come, I've come to lock Tom and Jerry's, um, here lately, you know, with just kind of more so, I guess on the East coast, I've you know, traveling around a military that, uh, and you see a lot of it, you know, but Tom and Jerry's, I think is cool right now. Okay. Okay. So you think change every seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah, so man, I wear I wear quite a few hats right now. Um, number one, um, I am a, a devoted husband and father. Uh, my wife Melissa and uh, three kids, Johnny, Mackenzie, and Jace. Uh, you know, they they take up the majority. Not I don't say the majority of my time, but they're priority uh, for me. But then also, man, I serve in the military, been active duty Air Force for a little bit over seventeen years now. And uh, you know, phenomenal, love serving, and uh, just being able to impact the mission with keeping the homeland free. And so that's been something I've been been focused on for 17 years. Along the way, um, picked up real estate, you know, leveraging my VA loan to buy multiple properties um, in conjunction with just moves to relocate for different jobs. And uh, in 2015, my wife and I, we started our own uh, home renovation business. And we've been going ever since with uh, fixing and flipping properties, you know, venturing into multifamily over time. And then, you know, author, you know, I wrote a book back in December 21, and now and I am a uh, real estate coach and mentor. So I help people build cash flowing uh, portfolios, you know, whether it's on the single family side, lending money, or on the multi-family side, buying a small apartment building. Awesome. Well, a lot to dig in there. But first of all, mad respect that you started with a devoted husband. Like uh, we have a lot of folks on here that start professionally and you went straight with the uh, that's my number one priority. So I, I appreciate that. No, thank you. Yeah, for sure, man. That's it. Well, tell our listeners, where'd your real estate journey begin then? Man, my first house that I ever bought was in Warner Robins, Georgia, uh, November 2006. First duty station, had been there a year. Um, and I tell people the story in my book about, you know, well, I was an electrical engineer coming out of college. But I uh, I didn't really have a strong financial background, financial literacy background that my credit was screwed up and uh, it was really humbling when I moved into my first apartment building and I had to have a family member sign on my lease with me because I couldn't sign myself because I had screwed up my credit, you know, because I didn't know, hey, you need to be paying your credit card on time and and doing little things like that that went a long way. And uh, luckily for me, over the next 10 months, I got that figured out. Um, I went through and got everything kind of cleaned up. Went through Lexington Law way back. I don't even know if they're still around, but I went through them to kind of dispute things and, and get old stuff updated and uh, closed out. And it worked out really well when an opportunity presented itself. A good friend of mine, uh, we were lieutenant serving together, and he found a, a duplex. And it was for sale, 
And he came to me, he's like, hey, J2, he's like, man, I'm gonna buy one side. You need to buy the other side. And, uh, you know, we're gonna live, live here, man. And we, we like, we can actually, we can rent this out when we leave. And when I looked at it, you know, the, the mortgage taxes and insurance was a little bit over $300 cheaper than what I was paying right now for my apartment building. So it was a little leap of faith. You know, I had learned a little bit about, you know, credit and the VA law. I didn't have to even bring money to the closing table. I got money back because when the close credits, uh, with the seller credits. And so it worked out really, really well, but there was a kind of a leap of faith to take action on that first one. And I've really been kind of hooked on real estate ever since. Do you still own that property? I just sold it last month, just sold it last month. Um, and it was a decision where the roof was coming up, was probably going to be, uh, need to be replaced as well as the HVAC unit. We still had the original carpet in there for when I moved in. Um, I don't even think we've replaced the refrigerator appliances. And so it was like, okay, there's a lot of end of life with the major systems. And so it made sense with one of the rules with, uh, you know, the capital gains that, you know, you have the five years, and if you live there as your primary residence for at least two of the last five years, you don't have to pay capital gains tax um, up to 250K for a single individual with up to 500K for a married couple filing jointly. And so with military, they pushed that out to 15 years. And so I was getting close to where we were going to cross that threshold of living in it the last two years of the 15 being in the military. So I was like, okay, I think this is a better time than any. We just did a major uh, multifamily acquisition for a quarter last year. So it was a good time to just kind of bring that equity, liquidate, and uh, build up cash reserves again. Yeah, I mean, I'm typically a buy and hold guy, specifically on my single family portfolio. But I do think there's a time in your investment journey where it does make sense to redeploy, capitalize and redeploy that equity somewhere else. And to your point around like the 15 years, like all of a sudden now you're looking at a tax bill if you hold that thing, plus all the money that you'd have to dump in it. Sounds like a pretty good decision. Did you make out pretty well on that? Yep, we did. We uh, I paid a whopping what sixty five thousand for that property back in two thousand six, and it was sold for one fifteen. So and it was wow. just you know, a two two um thing nine hundred and seventy square foot, and uh, built originally built to old three. So you know nice little nice little start at home, beginning home, and uh it's been rented. The tenant that moved out, we know I let them know that we were selling, but she had been there over eleven years. So you know it wow. consistently performed. Um, I didn't keep up with the market rent as I should have over the years. So, but no, no issues. There wasn't a whole lot of maintenance. Thank you. So, so talk me through that, right? You have somebody in there that's paying them, paying the rent consistently. It sounds like for 11 years, um, there comes a time when you have a tenant like that, where you kind of don't want to rock the boat. Like I always say that personal finance is part emotion and part math. And this is a part where like emotion kind of creeps in. Why, why do you think you didn't push rent up as much as maybe market would dictate? And just talk us through your decision there. Well, I think, you know, that's a great question because a lot of a lot of times we don't address those different things and the mindset and a lot but that goes behind how we make decisions. And I think for me, uh, one was the consistent cash flow was coming in. It was kind of out of sight, out of mind. I, I left that house in January 2010. I haven't stepped foot back in it since then. And just now sold it in twenty the beginning of twenty three, so all those years, and it was it was working. The management was was uh, was in place, it taking care of things. So for me, it was seamless. It wasn't broke. It wasn't fixed. We you know a couple of years ago, I did raise the rent. Um, I think like seventy five dollars. It wasn't anything drastic. I think we probably were still at least a hundred to one hundred and twenty five dollars below market rent, which was fine for me. 
with where I'm at, where I'm at right now professionally and with our real estate invested business, a hundred dollars wasn't really, you know, going to move the needle. I know when they moved out, I was going to have to paint. I was going to probably have to put in two or $3,000, maybe carpet and for painting the house throughout. So things like that, like, yeah, it's, you know, cheaper, just go ahead and leave it in there, leave the, the tenant in there and just ride it out. Um, since right now we, we can, we can make up for that in other areas of our, uh, portfolio. So. Yeah, that's it. I um I recently had a tenant move out after five years and I've just been bumping 3% every single year just consistently. And I know the Nashville market dictates a way higher rent growth than that. However, finally, they moved out this year and we're having to pay $7,000 to go do the carpets, the floors, the appliances, touch up everything. And oh, by the way, it's been sitting vacant for two two months now. So yeah. at this point, was it really worth it to go grab, in your case, 75 extra dollars? Or should I just kept the boat uh, going the way it was and not rock the boat too much? And that goes to, I don't think there's a bad decision there. You just got to make a decision based off of your personal circumstance. Yep, 100%. You know, it was emotional. Your first house you ever bought yeah. and, and all of that, that that extra baggage and with the way in, you know, the decision. But I'm like, okay. Stick to the numbers, take the emotion out. Like, yeah, it's the best thing to do numbers-wise. So, like, hey, yeah, I'm just... Yeah. You mentioned a VA loan earlier and securing the property with a VA loan. So, um, would you mind, first of all, define a VA loan for, maybe if that's a new term for our listeners out there? Sure. You know, no, I, I love this strategy, especially, you know, when I start talking with uh, my young airmen, my young troops, that um, the, it's a benefit that comes with serving. If you serve over... I think right now, if it's, you served over six months active duty service, uh, post down 11, that you you qualify for the new GI Bill, not G, no, GI Bill, but you qualify for the VA loan, that you served enough, and now you have that benefit. And so with that benefit, you're able to buy a single family dwelling all the way one through four units. So you can go all the way up to a quadplex four unit building using a VA loan. And the major benefit from the VA loan is that a portion of it is backed or guaranteed by the government. And so from a lender perspective, it it uh, reduces their risk with issuing you a mortgage compared to just Joe Blow down the street that maybe takes a, uh, you know, puts 15 percent down. It's not backed by the government or anybody if you stop paying. So one of the things with the VA loan, you can get 100 percent finance. You don't have to put any money down. Wow. A lot of time, depending on the lender and what's going on with the market, you may have lender credits, um, especially in this market right now, you could probably get buyer credits. We actually are selling the duplex now to a uh, veteran that's using his VA loan. And we're doing a rate buy down, kind of the two one where we buy his rate down 2% the first year and uh, 1% the second year. And uh, yeah, so you can get in a deal with no money down. You get, and I tell my young troops that, hey, they you can go buy a multi-unit and become an instant landlord at the same time without coming out of pocket with any money down, and uh, which is really powerful. We're getting in, started building assets um, at a young age and kind of taking advantage of that. Yeah, coupled that with a duplex and house hacking, for instance, so you can live in one side, house hack the other side, pay for your pay for the your living expense, all while accruing an asset over time is tremendous. Um, and and just to put in the context, I'm I, we were chatting beforehand. I uh, am going through the loan process right now, and I think I saw that a VA loan was about 50 to 75 bips lower than a conventional rate as well. So that's an additional benefit. Are there certain red tape around this or guidelines like the FHA, it has to be your first loan, just stuff like that. Are there any guidelines around that that we got to be cognizant of? 
Uh, they have different qualifications for us, like the debt to income ratio is a little different. And the same thing you see with the FHA, where when the government is involved, they kind of have their spin on how they want things to look. But usually they're a little bit more lenient than, say, conventional. And then also that um, the, a lot of the, uh, the myth is that you can only use it one time and then you have to sell it and then start. But I actually was able to use it three times in a row, all wow. while still owning the first two. Because um, it's based off your entitlement. So you get a certain amount of entitlement. Uh, and as long as you buy property, like my first house, you know, was under $70,000. So, you know, with that, I had a lot of entitlement left. And so I could go buy a property for 208000 And then moving into like a high cost area like the D.C. market or Los Angeles or Boston, they bump up your entitlement. And so I had just enough entitlement left to where I could get a uh, condo for 280000 and so I had three VA loans simultaneously and was able to qu still qualify for those. Um, but, you know, they, they have certain inspections that they like. Um, one of the downfalls that I see a lot is that it usually because the government's involved, it takes a little bit longer to close. And especially within the market that we were in the last two, three years, that that was a, uh, a hindrance for a lot of veterans with getting their deals accepted. Just because, you know, yeah, a lot, depending on where you're at, you might have a lot of cash offers. You had a lot of people that were waiving inspection contingencies in order to get into deals. And that, those are some things that you can't necessarily waive that by law, the VA loan, they had to have an inspection. They have to have an appraisal. And uh, and if it doesn't appraise, you got to bring money to the table, of course. And it just takes time to go through to get the, the government, the VA loan approval on, on the back end to finally get that clear to close. And so a lot of times buyers are shy. I mean, sellers are shy away. Just because conventional can exit, can close and perform faster on cash, or of course, um, closes faster. If someone doesn't have any inspection or they don't have any financing contingency, then it just makes makes it that much straightforward for the seller's perspective to accept another offer. Um, yeah, but yeah, got oh. it. Were were you able to do one hundred percent financing on all three of those loans too? Yep, all three were one hundred percent. Holy smokes! So you bought three properties, no money down, basically. That's awesome. Yeah. And the uh the the second the second two were both they were foreclosures as well too. And uh the third property that I bought, I actually refinanced it into a conventional loan so I can use my VA loan again the fourth time um for my current house. When we moved back to Northern Virginia, we bought another foreclosure on then we found an MLS here. And so we kind of, that was a little hairy, you know, two extensions and a lot of praying, but uh, we got it done to be able to refinance into conventional and then close on this VA loan simultaneously with the same lender. So, uh, but yeah, thank the Lord we were able to get it done. Gotcha. Gotcha. I think I remember reading part of your story and, and listening to your story around you were going and buying foreclosures and doing the uh, fix and flips and burr process, if I'm not mistaken, in Birmingham. Um, Talk us through the foreclosure process. I've never purchased anything from foreclosure. I know folks out there that specialize on it. And as we're entering the choppy waters of 2023 here, that might be a strategy that other investors could go look at right now. Talk us through that process. Yeah, most definitely. And, and the, the crazy part of it, it, it was really straightforward because, uh, you know, with those, they were HUD foreclosures. So they have a HUD representative or HUD broker that kind of works within the, that region or area to uh to list their property so it was really it was listed on the mls just as any other property on the mls that we were able to find it just so happened that it was owned by by hub because they had foreclosed on it so the first two um kind of fit fit within that realm and then the uh the most recent foreclosure that we bought 
that uh, it was it had been owned by Wells Fargo, and they had listed on the MLS, and uh, we were able to pick it up that way. So it was just a different owner that had foreclosed the government versus you know a traditional bank with Wells Fargo, and but all all of them they hit the MLS, and that was the the process that we went through. Uh, with the most recent one, we were third highest bid, and the first two people over the, the next ten days walked away from it, and they eventually got to us, and we were twenty k old. Um, list price and uh you know we were fortunate that it worked out is there a filter that you have to select to find foreclosures or are you reading through property descriptions like how are you finding them on the mls so hud has a website hud home store i think it's dot com hud homes it's either home hud store hud home store dot com or dot gov but that's where you can see the hud properties there and it, it also populates on the mls as well too uh but i, I really frequent that website with the most recent transaction, we went with a foreclosure short sale specialist in our area that kind of focused on those. And, uh, you know, and so we had been looking after I got orders to report back to the D.C. area that we had started looking probably maybe 30 days before it hit the market and when she notified us. But we were working with somebody that kind of specifically understood what what those opportunities look like and uh, it kind of made sure that we we were top of mind and that we got those notifications as soon as they hit the market. What's the downside off of buying a foreclosure? Uh, a lot of times, you know, potentially, you know, depending on the state or a condition of the property could prevent it from qualifying for traditional um, financing, just depending on if it's a real older home. But most of the homes, they were moving ready. You know, we well, two of them, we just had to paint like one room in each in the house each time that we moved there. The most recent one was kind of the, I would say the most extensive, whereas that we had to paint the entire house. We had to put new carpet down in the bedroom rooms, the living room and uh, new appliances. But outside of that, they had replaced the, the previous owner, had replaced the roof three years before the end. And uh, it was just, you know, just kind of cosmetic. And so, you know, depending on those situations, you may uh, you could they easily qualify. But if there's something where like a foundation issue or if it needs a new roof, it's got like an active leak. Things like that could stop you from being able to use your strategy we talked about, like with the VA loan or FHA loan with buy the foreclosure. Gotcha. Gotcha. Have you ever found like pre-foreclosure list and tried to call those um, those homeowners and try to buy them that way? Or are you just wait, waiting until they go through the foreclosure process? Oh, great question. Great question. So, so these all kind of been primary residents that I've talked about, but I do have with our renovation business, I have a... Uh, a virtual assistant in the Philippines that does like outreach for me. And so we do target pre-foreclosure lists as well as other um, kind of indicated lists that indicate distress, whether it's uh, evictions for tired landlords or probate property where someone may inherited a house or it's like code violations with code enforcement for certain property, just indicators that it may be somebody may be having a challenge associating with the home that we may be able to come in and provide a solution for them, you know, pick it up. Um, for, you know, pennies on the doubt or the doubt, just depend on the condition. Yeah. Now the VA over in the Philippines, are you giving them targeted lists and they're making cold calls? Like what's your strategy there? Yep. Yep. So we do kind of a mix. It's a mixed bag. Um, our primary strategy is, uh, sending text messages, text message blasts, and then we do some cold calling as well too. And, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about getting back into direct mail, going, going to direct the owner, with some uh, some of those niche lists that uh, I just mentioned, 
we were sending direct mail to it, kind of just hitting a kind of a, a three-headed monster where we're just coming from three different directions at those lists to kind of make sure that the, our message is received by the potential seller. Yeah, it's funny how those strategies like ebb and flow, right? Direct mail used to be all the rage, and then it was like, you got to go to text messages, and nobody responds to text anymore, so you cold call them, and then cold calling, no one answers, so you go back to direct mail. Like yeah. It really depends on where we are in the campaign strategies on how do you just be unique, right? I think that's the yeah. most important thing. I'm tired because I own property of getting 50,000 text messages a day, so I just delete those from now. But today, I walked out to the... Uh, to the mailbox and I had direct mail in there and I'm like, holy smokes, I haven't seen one of these in forever. And oh, wow, that's a nice picture. I might call those guys. Yep. A hundred percent. And that's all is, it's all about with marketing is just being standing out and being, being top of mind when somebody needs your service. Yep. Yep. Um, so what, what areas are you focused on right now with your home renovation business? Are you focused primarily in the Southeast? I think I heard Alabama, Birmingham at one point, what, what markets are you focused on? Yep. So right now we're focused uh, Panama City, Florida, and then across the state of Alabama, we're doing projects, uh, you know, whether it's multifamily or single family. Gotcha. Gotcha. And when you talk multifamily, you're talking five units and up or? Yep. Yep. Five units and up. Um, and my sweet spot is kind of 40 and below. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I think you said um, when we were chatting before that you primarily JV on those properties. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, proper. So JV is probably my um, my uh, my preferred strategy. My goal, you know, as we flip properties, the last couple of years have been really, really good as far as flips. And the goal was to pick up more rentals to create passive income. And so we cherry pick some of the uh, the rentals that we are burr and kind of refinance and keep those. But then also for like the uh, the ones that we flip, we would take the profit, buy, save it up, buy a multi unit. And then go in and, you know, hopefully there's a value add. We primarily look for value add. And um, and then increase those over time. And once you uh, increase the rents, just looking to hold more long-term, refinance a whole long-term. And, you know, have three to five people that kind of had the same vision, the same uh, investing horizon and goals to kind of come in as that's looking to hold long-term for passive income, for the tax write-offs with the bonus depreciation. They kind of just go for the ride together and uh, they, they trust me as an operator. I got my capital tied up in the deal and, uh, you know, life's good. Yeah. Yeah. What's your portfolio look like today then? How many units you have? All that kind of stuff. Right now we have uh, 112 units and I think value a little bit over 10 million. And nice. we have 20 under contract in, uh, in Montgomery to kind of close up the a broader deal that we've closed on all the assets except for just one uh, with the seller there. Nice. Nice. And I think recently you started a uh, mastermind group called REI Genius. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. REI Genius, a real estate investing genius, is just helping everyone that uh, in, pretty essentially tap into their own genius. I'm a true believer that we all have an astute investor inside of us and it's really just fostering that knowledge. Um, you know, we have weekly workshops where we bring on high level individuals like yourself and just kind of get their journey, understand their strategy. And then the last 10, 15 minutes, we actually allow um, our the community to engage and ask questions, you know, specific, you know, something they may need, you know, for their specific situation or advice or anything like that. And so it's a really cool setup. I host boot camps um, to kind of teach the different strategies that I leverage to build wealth. And, uh, you know, and so essentially I'm trying to create a community, um, I would say bigger pockets on steroids, where you have a whole lot more hands on um mentorship and coaching to help you 
where you are right now in your real estate journey, moving the needle and accelerate um, that journey for yourself. So that's kind of the vision um, to kind of grow that over time. And so we launched it in November timeframe and just continue, uh, continue to grow. Now, I love that. I think you are the people that you surround yourself with. And um, I was having this conversation with my accountant the other day. It just seems like the more success I have, the fewer friends I have from my old life that are around me that want to talk about wealth building, that want to talk about tax structures, that want to talk about legal entities and how we can make things happen, et cetera. So it's always important to go find that next tribe that's going to push you to your next limit. And it sounds like that's what you guys are putting together over there. Yep, 100%. I'm a true believer that uh, the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. And, uh, you know, and that's the thing we just bring it because a lot, like you said, I was the same way. A lot of my friends don't really, you know, entrepreneurship isn't their thing. It's real estate investing. Um, as much as you talk about it and, you know, to the point now, it's like you guys see the deals, the you've seen the journey is like, you know, it's nothing else that I can really say to motivate you if you're not interested at this point. You know, with, with changing, changing who you are and all that piece and investing and diversifying. Um, but it's been joining masterminds the last uh, three years. That process started for me that uh, it's just been an expo exponential return on the time and the relationships to be able just to move the needle where I'm as an investor, uh, where I am mentally, physically, just the, the accountability that comes with that. That uh, it's been venture because it's definitely uh, energized and whereas a lot of times, you know, if you, you kind of get in situations or you go through challenges and you don't have anybody that can relate to you in your circle, then is you can you can become a lover and kind of out there. And it can be fresh frustrating, but being able to be in a circle of people that understand the challenges that come with real estate investing and being an entrepreneur business owner is uh it's definitely a, a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to try to frame this question the right way. So let me try to preface this. You, uh, I'm very inspired by your story, just having this conversation and doing a little bit of research, but getting to know you over this conversation. And you're a guy that seems to like, you're not looking for home runs. What you're looking for is just doubles and singles every single day and to grow a portfolio through the military while being deployed, running different strategies, surrounding yourself with the right people and things like that is super inspiring because I think a lot of times we get on these shows and people talk about, oh, I own 2 billion of assets and I'm raising my next $10 million fund and all those sorts of things. But I really respect the, the, the singles and doubles that you've seemed to hit over the past 17 and a half years to get yourself in the position you're in. So the question is, where does this thing end, man? Where, where, where's your, where's the, where's the end game? You know, 40 years from now, Johnny's looking back on his career. What, what do you, uh, where do you think you are at that stage? Man, I'm going to be a happy retired man <laughs> watching, watching, my, watching my kids and grandkids continue the legacy, continue to grow, you know, whether it's the REIG's community, you know, whether it's the private equity fund, I'm looking to aspire to go ahead and start at the end of this year. That is, is, you know, at this point, it's legacy. A lot of the decisions that I'm making is for for my grandkids and my oldest child is nine. So they're not even here, not even thought about yet. But I'm constantly, you know, thinking about, hey, how does this this end up long term? And it's fun for me that uh, what we've been able to build with my wife, that it's been a, a, a true blessing and uh, to do it that way. And for me, it's all about time freedom. That whereas that once I step away from the hang up the uniform, that we'll have more than enough passive income where we can, I can spend time with the kids, we can travel, we can, we can do whatever we want to do. And I can find, uh, you know, I found my passion already with serving, but really, you know, now with the, the community, we being able to coach and mentor people and, you know, and it's really humbling to have somebody say that their life wouldn't be where it is today if they hadn't met me or the decisions and uh, the inspiration and the knowledge and strategies that I've given them to help change their legacy and how they approach their life. And so, 
it's really cool, man, to give back to people. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to continue to do that. And, you know, and I, I got it from my dad. My dad was a pastor, you know, his last church, I think he pastored over 23 years. And I just saw that commitment, you know, Sunday after Sunday, you know, weekend, week out, you know, Wednesday Bible studies and, you know, going, you know, driving an hour to, you know, Mobile to, to the hospital when people are in the hospital sick. And just that commitment and service that uh, it was truly inspiring. And, uh, you know, now it's like, OK, I, I can serve in a different capacity, whereas that, you know, being able to help people, you know, spiritually, because I, 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 I love sharing my faith. And, you know, because I think that's a strong uh, tenet of where my success is, you know, that that faith and my beliefs in Jesus Christ. But then also, you know, just giving people the financial strategies to level up their life, to be able to uh, live a, a better quality life. And so kind of coupling those things the two to, together that, uh, you know, I can do this forever and, uh, you know, just build that legacy to kind of hand it off to the kids. So I don't have a number of units or a number uh, for his net worth that I'm chasing. But, you know, I'm living right now in the present and, you know, just thankful for, you know, where I've come from in the journey and just taking a day at a time and continue to just build. Yeah. All I hear from that is service in a different way. Right. I mean, you today you serve in one way. Tomorrow you're going to serve another way. Tumbling. Well, I want to shift this now into our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book you've read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? For me, I think uh, the book right now that I'm reading, I'm about halfway through, is uh, The Gap in the Game by, I think, Sullivan. Is it Dan Sullivan? Dan Sullivan. Yeah. Yep. 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 So I'm I really, you know, I got a speaking engagement coming up at eight work, so I'm, I'm kind of thinking through and I'm, I read some different books and this one's kind of definitely I gravitated to. It's just really, you know, all about, you know, operating in the, you know, the gains that you've had over your life to bring you to where you are to now. And, you know, taking time just really to smell the roses and not look down on, on comparing yourself to someone else's journey or on your future ambitions and goals that you got down the road. But really look, have a true self-assessment of where you come from. And appreciate it and take the time to smell the roses today. Yeah, that's the the book my coach recommends that I need to read the most because uh, I have a little bit of difficulties comparing myself, not to other people, but to my future self. And uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Nice. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is correlated to the person you, the habits that you have and the things that you do every day. What are, what are some of the habits that you have? Oh, man. The new one I just picked back up, worked it out in the gym. I joined um my my wife joined first, but I joined a uh, burn for boot camp, and uh, it, it's really I you know one of the things with COVID you know with us in the military we usually have group PT and you get together you work out the camaraderie and you know motivation you know you're not just going to the gym by yourself and trying to motivate your way through an hour workout, uh, but that is something that I missed during COVID and going into COVID I had a major knee surgery with a torn ACL. And so I never really got back into the gym over the last few years. So that's been something the last uh, seven weeks that's just been really invigorating for me, you know, just passed the physical fitness test, the first one in like three years that I had to take. And uh, so really the gym piece is big for me right now on um, that habit of reading, reading books and uh, at least two books a, a month is kind of the goal for me. And then uh, they follow me time with the family, you know, one date night, one day night outside of the house at least a month. And, uh, you know, we usually try to do one movie night, look kind of Netflix and chill one night after the week, get the kids in bed, and then we just hang out um, and continue to grow grow with one another. So that's kind of the big one, you know, some different, you know, the real estate side, you know, continuing to get smarter on different things, but then also you got, you got to keep balancing and keep the family top of mind too. 
Netflix and chill text on a different meeting when you got kids, right? Yes. <laughs> our, our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? For me, I think I'm going to go back to what my mom taught me with, uh, with just being able to, you know, do your best at whatever it is that you're doing in life. I really took that to heart. That her analogy was, you know, whether you're, you know, you're mopping floors or cleaning toilets, you're going to be the best floor mopper there it is out there. That whatever you do is worth doing your best at. And that's something that I've always kind of just been driven and strive for perfection um, to, to, you know, sometimes to a detriment, you know, when you go too hard, but then putting a lot of pressure on yourself. But I think it's, it's really worked overall. It's worked really well with kind of helping me stay focused and disciplined and driven to kind of see things through. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I love endurance sports. Well, I'm an Ironman athlete, so I, I just love competing against myself. Like, who can you be today? And did you show up as your best person today is the most important. Our fourth one is, what is the thing you're most proud of in your life? Most proud of? I just think, you know, mo I'm most proud of, you know, the, the husband and father that I am. I, uh, I'm really big on the family. You know, when I, when I talk about like my upbringing and my mom, she, she pushed me really. She was like, you know, I had my younger sister that, Hey, you, you, you got to get out of this town. I grew up in a small rural area, three traffic lights. I think it was like 2000 people in the city limits type deal. And, uh, she knew that there was more out there than just what I could visually see and what I knew. And so she constantly playing that seed. Hey, you got to get your grades. You got to get out of here. You got to go to college, get your education so you can make some out yourself. And oh, by the way, you can't forget about your sister and, uh, and take care of your sister. And so once I had a family and, you know, and just the, uh, how proud of seed, how proud and her to tell me how proud she was of the man and I become the father and husband. And I think that's really, you know, something that I kind of take to heart. You know, because the other stuff, the portfolio, the real estate, you know, writing the book and being an author, that's cool. But, you know, really just you can't replace family and being there. Just the, the life that we're able to build together that I think is, is definitely it, what I'm most proud of. Man, I'm not crying. You're crying. Yep. <laughs> Our fifth and last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, now you're going to make me cry. Now you're going to make me cry. It, it, it'll be my mom, dude. I uh, I literally got back home yesterday evening. I had to fly the mobile over the holiday weekend. And, uh, and uh, you know, just move personal items out that my sister wanted to keep and then prepare for a state sale since my mom passed away June of 21. And I just been dreading the process. And my dad moved to Detroit, moved in with his uh, his sister and brother-in-law. And so he's he's not going back there. And so just that process to go through the house and kind of go through and process all the personal items, get that done. But I would love to, and that, this is what I tell people. It's like, you don't have time. You think you have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time to build wealth, to do the things that we know we should be doing to, to, you know, get in the doors, to get in the passive income. Because with me, it's like, I did all this, but I did it a whole lot slower. And like the loved ones that I would love to, for her to reap the benefits of my success at doing all this stuff, but she's not here to, to see it all that, uh, she was able to see the first multifamily, you know, she saw the business going and everything, but, uh, I would have loved for her to be here and just be able to, to sit over ice cream, but like, Hey, look at what we've done. 
over, you know, over this, this career and everything that's come to it and to be there um, in a couple of years when I retire from the service. So, you know, I would love to sit down and have ice cream and just kind of continue just to chit chat and have, have another conversation with her for sure. Yeah, I um, it's Jetsy Itzler, I think. He's the owner of the uh, Atlanta Hawks, uh, famous guy married to the owner of the Spanx, founder of the Spanx, talks about it a lot. You, you, you don't have three more years with your parents or five more years or whatever. You have three years plus three holidays plus maybe a vacation. So you've got 12 more visits. And when I heard that back in 2016, um, I really started to put into context how much time I really have with my folks because they're they're a little bit older. And unfortunately, my sister passed away in the middle of the night at the age of 40. So it's it's not like you life is infinite. So uh, I really appreciate that answer. And I know she's looking down at, at all the success you've had. And even though you can't share it with her today, you can't share it with her grandkids and your grandkids. And I know she'll appreciate that. For sure. Well, Johnny, fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you coming on and really getting a chance to get to know you. If our listeners wanted to reach out to you and learn more about you, get in touch with you, learn about REI Genius, where's the best place we could point them? Oh, uh, best place to be my website, uh, johnnylinum.com is a great place. Uh, you can find me, same name, Johnny Linum on uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, and the military CEO on Instagram. So any of those, you'll reach me. Perfect. We will link all those in the show notes. And then Johnny, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Matt. Really enjoyed it, brother. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.